Well, we are entering that time of year when many people around the world will receive gifts. I think gifts are a good thing. I think many people here will say gifts are a good thing. We all love receiving gifts, right? Gifts are something that's cool. Maybe your gift that you may want, you know, maybe it's some, the new pair of Jordans. Maybe you're one of those people. Or maybe it's just uh, the new video game or something like that. Or maybe you're like Pastor Ramon, who last week he put his cash app on display for the congregation (laughs) because he apparently wanted a gift from you guys. By the way, did anybody take him up on that offer? Ooh, tough crowd, tough crowd. I remember growing up in these ta- the times of receiving gifts, birthdays and Christmas. And it's something special that happens when it's something that you really, really want. You've been waiting for it and you actually get it. And I think many of you can relate here in this room. As we approach Matthew... I want to suggest that there are gifts for those people that come into the family of God. Good gifts that in some ways for our eternal souls that we've all been waiting for. This section opens up with the world famous sermon by Jesus the Christ, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you may have heard of this. This is the portion of Holy Scripture that spans from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. In it, we have Jesus preaching and teaching to his disciples about what it means to live life in the kingdom. This is the first block of teaching material that deals with the ethics of the kingdom. Matthew 5-7 through shows in greater detail the repentant lifestyle that characterized people of the kingdom. And when I say kingdom, uh, I'm referring to God's sovereign rule, God's sovereign reign, God's sovereign control over everything. In Matthew, you may hear sometimes kingdom of Christ, you may hear the kingdom of heaven, or you may hear the kingdom of, of, of God which essentially are words that kind of describe what this is. Being a kingdom citizen means that there are advantages that one has. And if I can put it directly, there are certain gifts that one receives. And because our God is a good, good father, he gives good, good gifts to his children. Amen? This brings me to gift number one, membership in the kingdom. As we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew essentially is saying that for those who are poor in spirit, the kingdom is theirs. The kingdom is essentially owned by them because it is giving to them by by God. Essentially, if they repent and believe in, in, in Jesus, and that's the real message of Christianity. 
The message of Christianity is a message of hope. It's a message that gives hope to people that are in need. So this morning, if you are here, I'm not sure what you have heard about Christianity. I'm not sure what glimpses you have saw or you've seen. I'm not sure. Maybe you've heard that Christianity is a, a bunch of rules that you have to follow. Then God will love you. Maybe you heard it's all about paying your tithes and your offerings. Then God will accept you. Maybe you heard that it's about reading the right books and understanding these type of people that write them. Then you will be accepted by, by God. Whatever it is that you have heard, I want to tell you that biblical Christianity is more relational than transactional. It's more about a relationship with God than it is about what you do for God. It's more about how you are in communion with him than it is about you working yourself like a hamster in a wheel to please him. Because the thing about the scripture, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Working is good, but working in and of itself does not save you. It doesn't save me. In fact, we need the work of another person because the work of another person, Jesus, is perfect. And this is what Jesus did and he accomplished on the cross for anyone that would believe in him. The work that he did is without blemish. It doesn't have a stain on it. It is something that God the Father actually accepts. The righteousness that we need comes through Christ. And life in the kingdom means that you believe in the resurrected Christ. So that's important. I think this is something that we should, we should do. But what's interesting here is these books. Um, so you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are what commonly is called the synoptic gospels, which is the collective name for these three because they can be seen or they can be viewed from a similar viewpoint. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting is the word for poor in this context could communicate the idea of being economically disadvantaged. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the word for poor seems to suggest that it communicates the idea of lacking in spiritual worth. It's interesting. How do we kind of make sense of that? And I think that at this church, um, I know I've been gone for about a month, but last time I checked, y'all are still biblically rooted, right? Amen. I'm glad to hear that, Pastor V. Being biblically rooted also means that there's a holistic view that we have to have, right? Uh, we have to preach and teach the whole counsel of, of, of God. But in Matthew, it does seem that it's pointing to some type of spirituality. That's why he clarifies where he says poor in spirit. So essentially, it's those who understand 
their total dependence on God and they don't rely on their own strength or their own power for salvation. They can utter the same prayer that is outlined in Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried, and Yahweh heard him and saved him from his troubles. This idea is recognizing that there's a need that we all have, and we have to rely on God. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. I know some of you are nodding your head like, oh, yeah, this is something that I know already. But sometimes we just got to get a refresher of what we already know. Sometimes as we read scripture, um, what I was told from um, Pastor V, when the Bible repeats itself over and over again, that means God is trying to say something. And what we see here is this is a present reality for those who embrace Jesus. They will have membership in God's kingdom. Now, some of us have memberships at other different places, right? This kind of membership is more than your membership that you have at Lifetime Fitness. It's more than your membership that you have with your CrossFit buddies. It's more than the membership you have at Costco. This kind has eternal ramifications, and once you are truly, truly and genuinely in the kingdom through faith and repentance, I want to suggest that your membership never expires. Philippians 1.6 says, and he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. For those that are genuinely saved in God, your membership does not go away. The Bible also says that no one is going to pluck his children from his hands. God is sovereign and in control over creation, but he's also sovereign and in control over salvation. And he's the one that gives this great gift for people to be invited and to come into his kingdom, and I want to ask, are you a kingdom member? Are you a kingdom citizen? This text is designed to teach us that the good life of the kingdom requires a total life change in order to reap the benefits. Another gift of the kingdom, and I love this one, I love the first one too, but I love this one right here. Is you get comfort from the most high God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, typically when we think about people who, who are mourning or something like that, sometimes we may have the tendency to think of those people uh, of being pitied or, or may feel super sorry for them. But what's interesting is this promise here is that they shall be comforted. This is a future promise and an amazing gift of the kingdom. Is there anyone here that needs comforting from anything in their life? Now, when we talk about this idea of comfort, it connects with mourning. Matthew is talking about a specific type of mourning. Now, generally, as we think about what's going on in our world, what's going on in our society, et cetera, I think there is genuine mourning that we can all have and we all should have. But it seems that Matthew has a specific type of grief 
a specific type of lamentation that should plague us in a sense that we should be mourning about. Mourning, Matthew has a type of mourning in mind that points the fingers at our own hearts. God blesses and comforts those who mourn correctly. I like the way that Dr. Esau Macaulay says it in his book, Reading While Black. He writes, mourning calls on all of us to recognize our own complicity in the suffering of others. We do not simply mourn the sins of the world. We mourn our own greed, lust, and desires that allow us to exploit others. This type of grieving, this type of mourning, essentially is pointing the finger at ourselves. And are we mourning the type of things that really breaks God's heart? If I had to ask you a question, what does proper mourning look like? Well, I think in one sense from this passage, I think we can look at proper mourning from King David. If you know the story about King David, we preached through 1 Samuel for quite a bit. And it's interesting because King David, you know, he's has a lot of great things that he did, the whole nine, but he also has some great things he great he also has some terrible things that he did as well, right? I mean, if you think about the story of David, this guy really like took somebody's wife got the husband killed, and then try to cover it up. It's not a good thing. It's a terrible thing, right? And then the prophet Nathan comes to him and actually has to confront him about the things that he did. And what was King David's response? Well, he prayed, but then we eventually get Psalm 51. He is mourning over his sin in such a way that he's so broken, that he's so hurt, that he's so pained that he caused all of this. This idea of like literally crying out to God because of your own sin, your own issues that you have done. This is the type of mourning that Matthew is referring to here. Have we ever been into a space or a place like that where we've been so broken, so hurt, so sorry, so repentant that we're crying out in our own hearts for what we have done, not only to others, but to God, a holy and righteous God. The injustices of the world, and there are a bunch of them, and we should be outraged. We should do a lot of things in regards to that. But are we also outraged at our own sin against a holy and righteous God? Do we mourn that type of way? I want to suggest that when we look in the mirror and see all of our issues, all of our pains, all of our falls, the text says that God's going to comfort us. He will comfort us in our distress because he is a good and righteous God. I love serving a God like this because I know when things are going haywire in the world and in my life and in yours, 
we have somebody that we can run to. We have somebody that we can call on. We have somebody that's going to hear our prayers. And not only hear our prayers, but he's going to answer them. If we come with the right heart posture to God, God will be the one to comfort us. I truly believe that, and I hope you believe that as well. Do we mourn over our sin like this? Well, I think that in the time of response that typically y'all have, the time of confession, that's a good spot to kind of do that each and every week, a regular time in terms of crying out before God for a lot of other things, but also the issues that we have in our life. And I love the text as well, because one of the roles of God, one of the functions of God by way of the Holy Spirit is he's a comforter. It literally says that he's a helper, but he's also a comforter. And he will comfort those in need. The last gift, the last gift. By the way, uh, as we think about um, all these different gifts that I'm talking about, when you continue to keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, there's way more gifts than just three. But the last gift here, and I really like this one too. I know I said I like number one, I like two, but I really like this one here. It says, verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I like the way that the New Living Translate, translation of the Bible says it. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And the word meek communicates the idea of being humble. And again, if you notice, there's a future reality here that Matthew's referring to. Within the Greco-Roman culture, the quality of hum humility was not really valued, just like it's not really valued in our culture today. We have other things that's more valued in our culture, like arrogance and cockiness, and the list can go on and on. But Matthew is suggesting to Roosevelt a gift of the kingdom is to inherit the world. I don't know if you guys ever thought about that. <laughs> but God owns everything. Yeah? Psalm 24.1. He owns everything. He has a trademark on everything, including the whole entire world. And if we are his children and he gives good gifts, because he does, then in some sense, for those that are humble... For those who have a contrite spirit, for those that have this type of posture, we are going to inherit the entire earth. Now, Jesus is referencing Psalm 37, verses 9 through 11. Now, note this, though. Those who were trying to bring in, not, uh, not those who, tr who try to bring in kingdom, the kingdom politically or from a military perspective, but those who wait humbly on God will inherit the earth. I don't know. Do y'all want to inherit the earth? But the Bible also talks about this idea and there's going to be a new heaven and new earth because God is not only God gracious and in, in, in everything that I mentioned, but he's also a restorer. And in the new heavens, new earth, the world is going to be recreated. It's going to be reset. It's going to be a renewal of all things. And the good news about the kingdom is that his children will be able to dwell 
in it with no sin, with no issues, with no problems, with no trauma, with no backaches, with no police shootings, with no issues in the Holy Land. Whatever the issues that's going on in the new heavens, new earth, the land that we will inherit as kingdom citizens is going to be the best kingdom ever known. And I would also just suggest this is a type of world and type of kingdom, kingdom that people want to live in. They want to live into a place, whether they're Christian, whether they're not Christian, you ask somebody, hey, what type of world do you want to live in? It's going to des- is they're going to describe something like what the Bible describes. I haven't really met anybody that says, like, yeah, I want to live in a world that's full of shootings and all sorts of things like that. Haven't met no one that says, yeah, I want to live there. Everybody has this, this great grand vision of hope of a place that they want to be for them, their children, and their family. And I'm suggesting that as a kingdom citizen, you can inherit these gifts through faith and repentance and trust and belief in Messiah Jesus. And I love this because this is Jesus talking on a mountain, preaching on a mountain. He is in some ways (laughs) inaugurating a new reality, a new way, or a new interpretation of of living. So that's the call, that's the encouragement for us to be kingdom citizens that take the kingdom seriously and to believe and trust in Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to dwell in the land of the living, that we get to be a part of this great kingdom, this life within the kingdom, because of what you have done on our behalf. At the cross is where we find the hope that we need, the hope that we all want, and at the cross is where we also find a new perspective of life. We find a new life ultimately in you. And I pray for anyone that's here in this room, Lord, that they can cast all their worries and all their anxieties at the feet of the cross. And your word says that you'll care for them. In fact, you will comfort them. Those that have so many different challenges within their life, I pray that you can be that God of comfort for them so that they can just make it another day. And send them people that will encourage them, that will help them walk through the trials and tribulations that many people are facing. I ask, Lord, that you can embolden us and strengthen us with your power so that we could be able to be kingdom-minded kingdom citizens. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.